Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with us, we're going to be diving into Luke chapter 24, looking at the resurrection this morning. And I'm sure you're wondering, why do I have this stick up here? This is um, loaned to me by Harold here. He let me borrow it today for today's message. And this is a, a stick that you would uh, take when you go on a hike. When you go on a journey, and that's what I see when I look at these things in different places. I, I look at it, and I'm like, there's a, a story to be told with this. There's an adventure that is waiting to be taken by someone who would take up one of these and, and follow into a, something new. A wise man once said that the beginning of a journey starts with a single step. Single step. Not much more than that, but... But you know what? There's something, I think, in our soul and our spirit that craves a journey. Whether it's to be out in the wild, in the wilderness, or it's from our couches looking for the next journey on Netflix. We all love to join into a new... Some of you just caught that, yeah. We all love to dive into a new journey, to experience something new. And yes, while others might have gone ahead of us, to us, it's uncharted territory. It's a new adventure, something that promises that when we come out the other side, we're going to be a little different because we would have seen something, because we would have been part of something. For me, that's why I have a great love for hiking. I grew up in the Smoky Mountains, and you can't leave the Smoky Mountains and grow up there without having a deep love for just wanting to be out in the nature, to be out in the mountains, especially this time of year when the leaves are changing colors. I've spent many Hours invested in the woods, hiking new trails, climbing new peaks, running from a few bears. Yes, that's happened. It's not ideal. There's something in my spirit that craves to be out on a new journey. That craves to be uncovering something new. Because once you reach the peak and you see the sun over the mountain, you're a little different. Your perspective on life has changed a little bit. And while I've put many hours in trails around the Smoky Mountains, there's one trail that I take frequently that has quickly become my favorite. It's this trail that take, I take part in every fall. I take a retreat with a couple other pastors. We go up in the mountains just to escape from everything, just to, to be alone outside of cell signal, just to be together with our Bibles, worshiping together, and just Breathe. And on the second day of this trip every year, we, we take this hike up to this fire tower. And, and I love this trail. It's easy. It's even paved in some parts, but that's not why I love it. It's steep. And as you get closer and closer to the top, you feel the air grow a little thin. And then you see the fire tower and we, we climb up to the top of the fire tower and you look down, uh, down the mountain and you can see over here, there's one town over there. There's another town back over there's another town. And you're just, we're all up there and we're just looking down basically on our problems, on our agonies, on the spiritual warfare that we have back down at the mountain that we're going to have to walk back into. And as we're up there, this happens organically. It's never planned, but I've noticed it every year that all of us just start to unburden ourselves. We start to share about the deep darkness in our heart, the, the pains, the agonies of this past year. We're not sharing success story. We're sharing, here's, here's where I had to fight in the trenches this year. 
And it's not a showboating thing. It's merely to look at one another as brothers and sisters and be able to look someone else in the eye who knows what you're going through. And we unburden ourselves. And then we start to hike back down. But we always do something different when we hike back down. See, the, the trail back is easy. It's predictable. But there's this unspoken rule. You can't go back the same way. So we literally just make our own path. We, we go down the side of a mountain. We have to climb over some rocks. And it's dangerous and wild. And there's only really one rule. Get there alive back to the cabin. <laughs> Avoiding any bears and mountain lions. And be there before supper. And it's dangerous and it's wild and it's crazy. And for me, that's the best part. Because we've taken this journey together. We've gone to the mountain. We've shared something, this journey that has already changed us. And we know we can't go back the same. We have to go through a new path and a new adventure. And yes, by the end, you're covered in some leaves and some thorns and maybe a few scrapes and bumps. But we all have this energy, this vibrant life about us now that we've tasted something new. And we look at one another as, as brothers, as soldiers, and we've gone through the trenches together. And I love it because to me, there's something about that that speaks to the Christian walk. Where the whole point of our relationship with Jesus begins, where we come to him with our agonies, our pains, our sin. And once we've laid them down before him, there's something within us that says we can't go back the same way again. We can't go back to what we were before this moment. We have to go in a new journey with Jesus. And it's wild and it feels like we're entering into some uncharted territory. It feels like we're carving new paths because we recognize that the journey with Jesus is dangerous to who we were before. But we want to take it. Because it changes us. And I think the writers of the New Testament understood that. I think that's why they describe the Christian life like a walk, like taking a journey. Why there's so many passages that talk about be still and know that he's God. To walk with him. To, how, to listen to how he leads us beside still waters. Because there's something about this when we come before Jesus saying, Jesus, this is who I am. This is what I'm carrying. And to hear him say, take my yoke for it is easy. Let me take this off your hands. There's something about that. There's something about this journey. Our story kind of falls along the same premise. As we dive into Luke chapter 24, it's important to remember what we left off with last week, and that was with the death of Jesus. And that would look like the end of the journey. That would look like the story is now over. I mean, that would be the truth for all of us, right? We're dead, and it seems like, okay, there's no more addition, no new chapters that we can carve out, but this is not the same person like any of us. We're talking about Jesus. And what happens next is the very cause and reason why we are here today. Because when he suffered and he died and he faced the price, which none of us could have faced, but which all of us deserved, and he willingly stepped into this role. He chose to save us by his own suffering like we looked at last week, and he died a death on a cross. The story was not over. 
For we're told that just a few days later, a group of women take their own little journey back to the tomb. And in Luke chapter 24, they go to look at the tomb. They're going there to put spices on the tomb, on the body of Jesus, just like we would put flowers on a gravesite. And they go there and they discover something wonderful. It's in chapter 24, verse two. And it says, they found this stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, their thought in this moment was the exact same as us. Like, if you had showed up on a Saturday at a gravesite and you put flowers there, and then you showed up Sunday morning and there's a giant hole, you'd be freaking out, right? You would not be thinking, man, this guy just got up and he's walking around. No, you'd be thinking, who stole the body? And that's what they're thinking. They're panicking. They're like, who would do this, right? He's dead. Who, who would benefit from stealing this body? And they're, they're sitting there panicking and all of a sudden two angels appear. And these angels look at them and they say in verse six, he is not here, but has risen. Now, anything an angel says in the Bible, you can pretty much guarantee that's probably some truth they're dropping, right? Like these are not beings that are coming to lie. This is something that is sent by God to share a wonderful news, a wonderful truth. And so they come forward and they say, he's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. They're like, hey guys, weren't you listening? Jesus has been talking about this from day one. He's been saying, guys, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna lay my life down. And guess who's gonna kill me? Is my own people who I'm trying to save. They're gonna crucify me. But don't you worry. Don't you get up in your panic and stuff like that and your panties all wad up because I'm coming back in three days. And they're all sitting there thinking, well, I don't understand that. Okay, that's, uh, you know, they're thinking figuratively, but he meant literally. When he kept saying this over and over, how Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. You guys have heard me say this before. Whatever you think about Jesus, the fact that he can prove and he predicted his own death and resurrection down to the detail means he's a guy he's probably worth listening to. Even if you're like, I don't fully believe he's son of God and I wrestle with that, that's okay. But the dude was able to predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off. And I don't know about you, but I want to listen to that guy, right? I want to know how to live if he can do that, right? Like he is someone powerful. And the angels are like, weren't you guys listening? He said this. But of course, they're all in disbelief. They're like, I'm struggling to understand what this is about. So they run back to the disciples and they're like, here's just what happened to us. Jesus is gone. And, and of course, they don't believe them either. I mean, it's this kind of comical story of here's the people who are the closest to Jesus who heard this constantly and they're confused by it. They're not understanding it. They're not picking up on this, Right? But we still have this mystery of here's Jesus, he's apparently risen, but we, where is he at? And here's what's ironic and funny and probably no surprise whatsoever. Jesus is not in the place where we would expect him to be. He's not in Jerusalem. He's not in the temple. He's not with his disciples. He's not with Peter and James and John. He's not confronting his killers, you know, getting in their faces and acting his revenge like any of us would do. No, instead we find Jesus in, once again in the most unlikely place. It's outside of the city. And we're told in chapter 24 
That there's this couple who are walking, um, they're on this journey, and scholars believe it's a husband and wife, and they're leaving town because they're like, this is too much commotion, or this is too much craziness, we're out of here. And then poof, Jesus appears, and, and we're told in verse 15, it says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, I'll be honest. I have no idea what that means, that they couldn't recognize Jesus. Like, was his face blurry? Was he wearing a mask? Uh, did he have, like, a, a funny big mustache or something? I, I don't know. But I'm like, why could you not have recognized Jesus in this moment? And Jesus comes up along beside them, and they're chatting about everything that's been going on. And Jesus listening. He's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, we're, we're talking about Jesus. And Jesus is kind of funny. He's like, tell me about this Jesus guy. I've, I've never heard about him, you, which is kind of comical. It's kind of like, you know, that show Undercover Boss where the, the boss goes into the, of the CEA, goes to the bottom tier of his company and he's talking to his employees and they're just bashing about the boss kind of deal. You know, Jesus is kind of doing that right now. Like I picture him wearing like a glasses, big nose, kind of mustache, little uh, mask thing. And he's looking at them. He's like, tell me about this Jesus guy. what do you think about him, right? And they're like, we're talking about this Jesus. He was a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. They're like, he was this awesome dude. He did awesome things. Man, he was the superstar. He was just awesome to be around. And they're, you know what? What's shocking, they're like, our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. They're like, he was awesome and our leaders were lame and stupid and they killed him because they're jealous of him, right? But they go on. Here's where they shared their own heart of what they thought about Jesus. They said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. I mean, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And they're like, man, this is the guy who we had hoped was going to be the Messiah by our definition. And remember what their definition was? They wanted someone who was going to kick the Romans out. They wanted someone who was going to establish the Jewish empire, who was going to defeat the Romans. And they thought once Jews had their own empire, then the world would be fixed. So they're sitting there hoping for this guy. And they're like, man, Jesus, we thought he was going to be the one to redeem us. We thought he was going to be the one to be our king, who was going to end our suffering, who was going to fix the world by establishing the Jewish empire. This is what we had hoped for him. And yet he died. And now we're hearing this crazy report that he's alive again. I mean, that's just too far-fetched. That's too hard to believe. So we're out of here. We, we, we're heading back home. We don't want to be a part of any of this. The things are about to get really bad. We know in Jerusalem because if they kill Jesus, they're going to come for all of us as well. So we just want to avoid this. And Jesus kind of hears all this. And, and he responds by saying in verse 25, where he says to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? See, this is what's really comforting about this story, is that they didn't get it. They were a little confused, which is wonderful, because sometimes we don't always get it as well. Sometimes we can grow up in church and hear the gospel preached every single week, and we will not get it. 
Let that sink in a little bit. (laughs) We can so easily get confused. But here's Jesus and he's patient. And he likes to explain things. So he starts opening up the scripture, starts talking all about it and things like that. And what his point is, is when he's trying to explain what the Messiah was all about, what he wanted them to see is that the Messiah rescues humanity to serve and love God, not by removing humanity from their suffering, but by saving them through his own suffering. And so that's why we're told in verse 27 that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Just like we've been in this long series looking to piece together the grand narrative of God's word and how every little bit kept pointing back to Jesus, Jesus does that in this moment where he kind of breaks it down for them. And he's not like picking out random verses here and there, but he's walking through the entire Old Testament, which is really encouraging because that tells us that we can only truly understand the Old Testament when we see how it is all pointing ahead to Jesus. That's what the whole Old Testament is about. It's not, hey, let's read this boring part. It's all about rules and stuff like that. No, every little bit was about pointing ahead to Jesus. And now here's Jesus. He's inserting himself in this moment. He's explaining that. He's pointing himself as the climax of all of human history, saying this is what God was working towards as the means of fixing humanity, of creating a new creation in the midst of the old one, of opening the door for people to have a loving relationship with God where they can love God and serve God and be who they are meant to be. And Jesus is like, this is all part of the plan, guys. This is what God has been talking about from day one, from the very beginning of the book of Genesis. This is what's going on. And of course, they don't get it. They're like, oh, that's nice. That's very interesting. And so they come to the end of their journey and they invite Jesus to come in for dinner. And this is kind of a special moment because if you think all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very first meal in the Bible kind of broke the world, if you think about it. In fact, the very first meal is when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. They willingly disobey God and the world broke. And now here's Jesus and he's talking about a new world has begun, a new creation that's taken place. And what does he do right after talking about this? He takes communion. It tells us in uh, chapter 24, verse 30, it says, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. That's Luke's way of saying that what Adam destroyed, Jesus has repaired. That something new has entered into the midst. That there is now the beginning of the fixing of the world in Jesus' resurrection. And he celebrates that with communion. That's the beauty of communion like we celebrated last week. It's not just the celebration of the suffering that Christ went through to save us. It's also the celebration that we are made new. By his suffering, a new beginning has taken place. And we get to enjoy the fruits of that. And as soon as he breaks the bread and he offers them communion, the light bulb clicks as they remember, oh, we just had this meal with this guy three days ago. We recognize who you are. Like the mask just kind of falls off Jesus kind of moment because we're told in verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. It's like, poof, he's just gone. It's really cool. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? You see, to them, it's finally clicked. 
they're finally able to see Jesus and we can only truly recognize Jesus when we see how he is in the center of God's story. Once we've come to understand the full story of God, that's when we can fully understand who this Jesus guy is. That he's not just this nice guy, but he is God in the flesh who has come into this world, who has taken our sins, who suffered in our place, who died, rose again, and now everything is brand new. And God is beginning to fix the world. He has started with Jesus. And now, now comes the joy of what happens next. Now comes the part that leads to you and me being here today. The responsibility which we're supposed to have. And that's what's starting to click with these disciples and they're just burned to the heart. They're like, you know what? We gotta, we gotta understand who this Jesus guy is. We gotta get more. We gotta go back and tell the other disciples. So they rush back to Jerusalem and there they find Jesus with the company of the other disciples. He's eating with them. He's hugging them. You know, he's having a good time. It's showing that he's a physical human being in this moment. He's not some ghost, but he's physically there and he's enjoying this company. And then when they're all there, he tells them what's to happen next, how this has all changed, everything what it means to be human. And he tells them in verse 45, it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Meaning he opened their minds to understand how it's all about Jesus, how it's all been pointing to him, how everything in God's word and how in God's story has been leading to this central figure and what he has done for you and I. So he opened their minds to understand that. And he said to them, this, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. See, going all the way back to Abraham that we looked at when we first began this long series, we saw that God had in mind a plan, a determination to fix this world. That the problems and agonies that which, and the pains which we all carry, God had in mind of creating a better world. And now we see that that plan has both been fulfilled in Jesus and something new has been born. And Jesus wants us to have the responsibility of carrying it forward. And see, that's how Luke ends his gospel. By sharing this news that Christ has risen and something new has taken place, he wants us to understand this very important truth of how we go on from here on out. And it's that understanding that Jesus entrusts us to carry forward what he started. Jesus entrusts us to carry forward what he has started. He's brought in a new world into the being of the old one, a new creation. He's in the process of fixing this world and then he entrusts us to join in with the work that he is continuing to do. And I don't know about you, but maybe that makes you feel kind of small. Maybe that makes you feel kind of unqualified. I know it does for me. And then it makes me feel very honored and inspired that the God of the universe looks at us and all of our imperfections, all of our problems, all the things that we have going against us and looks at us and says, I want to use you to spread the good news, to be part of the joy of what Christ is continuing to do even still today. That's what we celebrate in the church, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And as we share that message, 
as we share about the the repentance of sins, the forgiveness that is now offered in Christ, Christ becomes a little bit more clear in this world. He's already the king of all things, but his authority is shared more and more. And that's the joy as we've been looking at these historical documents. We see that everything's been leading this way, that God had in mind to build this family and he's inviting all sorts of people into this family. And in this family, he's inviting them not just to belong in the family with him, but to believe in who he is. But once we come to that point, we're also seeing that there's an invitation here to become something more. That Jesus now hands us the reins, the keys to the kingdom. Saying, I started it, you carry it forward. And that changes things. It changes how we should look at this world and all of its problems. It changes how we should look at our own lives. And maybe for some of you, maybe that means a change in your career. Maybe that means a change in how you use your resources and your time and your priorities. Maybe it means not giving up on that relationship. Maybe it means having that difficult conversation you've been trying to avoid. Maybe that means working to come to a place of forgiveness for someone who's really hurt you. See, here's the fact of the matter is that Jesus entrusts us to carry forward his mission, which means that we all have a next step in the journey. We all have something to move us forward. This God wants more of us than just to say yes to him at one point. He wants an ongoing yes. He wants to use us in different spaces. And so that makes all the difference when you work at the hospital, when you work at the schools, when you work on the job sites, whatever it is, God wants to use you in that space. He's entrusting that responsibility to you to be a light in the darkness to be an encouraging force, to carry forward what he has started. Truth is, we all have a next step. We all do. Maybe for some of you, this is your first time ever being here. Maybe the next step is simply come again. Hear about the message next week of how the church was formed and what Christ continued to do that led to you and me being here today. Maybe for some of you, that next step is that you need to get baptized. You need to make a declaration that your allegiance lies first with Christ, that you want to be part of him, part of his story, and so you want to surrender your life to him, and you've never had that opportunity, so maybe that's what your next step needs to be. Maybe you need to get baptized to show to others, this is what my life is now about. It's proclaiming that Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Maybe for some of you, your next step is confession. Where you've been carrying something in your heart. Something that you're wrestling with. Something you're struggling with. It's your pain. It's your agony. And you're looking for release from it. Maybe your next step is that confession to come and lay it down before Christ. See, the scripture says there's great healing in confession. But we oftentimes hide away our sin. We squirreled away and we think no one can understand what we're going through. No one can understand our doubts, our anxieties, our pain. But that's not true. And so maybe the next step for you is to find the courage to come to someone and say, here's what I'm dealing with. Will you come alongside me? Will you pray for me? Will you help me to walk the walk? 
Maybe for some of you, your next step is you need to find yourself in the company of a tribe of other Christians who will not just want to enjoy the time being with you, but will seek to see you become what God has always made you to be. My friends, that's why we have small groups. It's not just so, hey, you can have a fun group of friends. It's for the purpose of helping you to become who God made you to be. Because here's the honest truth, okay? Here's the honest truth. We will naturally drift towards immaturity. We will naturally drift away from Christ. And the purpose of small groups is to have people in your life who will help keep that from happening, who will challenge you to become something more, to become what God has always intended you to be. So that's why we have small groups. And I know some of you, you can't make to a small group because of the, how many groups we have or the times, and I get that, but you can still find some Christians in your life you can still find someone you can look to and be honest and say, hey, I want to grow in who Christ made in me to be. Will you hold me accountable to that? Will you come alongside me in that journey? Maybe for you, that's the next step on your journey. Maybe for some of you, the next step in the journey with Christ that he's entrusted to you is to serve somewhere. Maybe here at the church. I mean, now that we're in this building, I know it's wonderful, but all of our areas of ministry need more areas of service, need more volunteers. And so maybe for you, that's your thing. You need to sign up to serve somewhere. But I get not everyone needs to be everywhere. And not everyone can serve in every capacity. But here's the thing. Christ called us to serve like he has served us. And so I'm betting there's someone in your life, a family member, a friend, who needs you to serve them like Christ has served you. Maybe that's your next step. And the responsibility of what Christ has invited you into. Maybe it's to invite someone to church. Maybe it's to share with them the gospel. Maybe it's to take a leap of faith for Jesus. I don't know what it is for you, but here's the honest truth. Every single one of us have a next step with Jesus in this journey. And if we're not taking the next step, then we're going to grow stagnant. We're going to decline. We're going to naturally drift towards immaturity. And Christ has entrusted too much responsibility to us. That's why this church exists We're a church for those who have given up on church. Our purpose is to help serve this community, to help make it better. And that requires us to say yes to what he's entrusted us with. Why don't you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much that you invite us into your story. That you invite us to take a journey with you to take a leap of faith. And it's scary and it's terrifying and I'm coming to realize more and more that taking a journey with you is wild and dangerous to who I was before you. It's true for all of us. But you have started something new with your resurrection, Father. You have begun the process of fixing this world and you entrust us with the responsibility of partnering with you. So Father, I want to say yes to you. And I hope others will do the same. I hope others will see that this life, this Christian life is more than just coming in and singing in a few songs and going on our way or joining in a few potlucks or church activities, but it is about a life in obedience to you. It is about a life that says you are worth anything. You are our greatest and first yes. And what an honor it is. What an inspiration it is that the king of the universe entrusts us 
to carry forward what you began. So much in this journey, we have watched what you have done. We have seen you do mystery. We have seen you do miracles. We have seen you do the unbelievable. And now we're at a new point in the journey. Seeing that the next leg of the journey is is asking for our partnership with you. Our willingness to obey you. Our willingness to to pray, our willingness to step into uncomfortable places, our willingness to suffer even. So Father, thank you for entrusting this to us. Let us be faithful. Oh God, let us be faithful. Let us be more interested in saying yes to you. Let us be more interested in being obedient to you and be found faithful than being found as anything else. Father, that's what we want to be. That's what I want to be. And I hope I'm not alone in that. because you are worth it. Thank you so much, Jesus. It is in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.